Welcome to the Bold.com Tech Podcast. In this podcast, we share our experience with you to learn and entertain, speaking behind the scenes of IT and tech in general at Bold.com, showing you our approach to software development, e-commerce, and retail platforms. Yeah, looking into the things that we are enthusiastic about and that are happening here. As always, we have a bunch of ideas to share in this series. This is how we do IT. I'm co-hosting this show together with Peter Brouwers. Peter is a team manager in IT. He started as a service delivery manager and is now leading one of our site reliability teams, some project teams and soft, uh, some project leads and software architects. And I'm glad to introduce Peter Paul as co-host. Peter Paul is working as a team manager and before that he was an IT architect and even before that a software engineer at Bold.com. So in this episode, we talk about forecasting and artificial intelligence. As long as retail exists, people try to predict the future. An accurate forecast makes it much easier to buy the correct amount of products from suppliers. Know what you need to keep it on stock and even to know what the sales will be with certain promotions is a big plus. For me personally, forecasting has always had my interest. Actually, my first venture here at Bold.com involved forecaster, forecasting. Later on, I was involved as an architect in one of the first iterations using data science for forecasting. Over the last couple of years, this domain changed dramatically, I would like to say, because of the introduction of data science and artificial intelligence. We think it's a great story to share because it was also introduced by a group of enthusiastic data scientists and software engineers just a couple of years ago. So yes, let's talk with uh, those data scientists and software engineers. So time to introduce our guests to you. First, we have uh, Erik Webbe. He's team lead data science, and he's really enthusiastic about the combination of forecasting and data science. And we have Harman Prince in the studio, software engineer who joined Bold.com last year. And with a, ma a master in data science uh, as a background, he's a great, what we say, bridge builder <laughs> to bring data science solutions into production. So welcome, and great to have you here. Thanks, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay. So it's time to introduce you. Uh, Harman, can you tell us something about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So uh, after graduating from uh, studying artificial intelligence and data science um, two years ago, I started uh, half a year ago uh, at Bold.com in the forecasting team. And right now I'm building a tool to compare different forecasts so that we can see if we're actually improving over time or not. Cool. What about you, Eric? Um, yeah, I have a background in applied physics, uh, so not data science per se, but with a lot of overlap in mathematics and modeling. Um, have been with Bold.com for almost four years by now, and now have the, the great pleasure of leading a team um, of indeed software engineers and data scientists who are building forecasts uh, to help our customers and our partners do better retail. Okay, and we already explained a bit about forecasting and artificial intelligence, but let us hear uh, from, from you guys. What, can you explain briefly what, what it is about? Yeah, so to me, uh, artificial intelligence is basically advanced statistics. So what you, what you do is you grab a lot of data and you try to see patterns from that. And uh, using those patterns make the lives of the people uh, easier. So for our colleagues, we'll, we try to take away the, the boring parts of their job, the, the things that you can automate, uh, using those statistics so that they can actually um, take on the, the harder problems, the more interesting problems, and the problems that have more impact. 
Um, and in forecasting specifically, we, we try to do that by seeing what things will happen in the future. Um, this, this relates to logistical problems like, uh, like how many uh, items we're going to sell and which specific items, uh, because every item has to be handled differently in, in our warehouse. Um, but also um, seeing uh, where we need uh, more people or, uh, or other uh, uh, resources. Okay, Erik, can you explain something about uh, when did we start to, to combine forecasting and uh, the artificial intelligence part? Yeah, um, I think that's already quite a while back. I think it's almost three years ago when uh, the first people within Bold.com indeed saw the great opportunity that was there uh, in a combination of both AI and forecasting. Um, Bold.com came at the scale that uh, it's very beneficial to improve in your forecasting using these types of methods. Uh, we had the data to support those kind of methods and we had the infrastructure to do so. Um, and I think from that point on, there was a first initiative to, um, to start doing sales forecasting on this massive skill that we have. Um, over the years, I think we've learned a lot. Uh, we've done different iterations, different implementations of the same application. And the current setup that we are now using is, has been here for slightly under a year um, and is now tr proving to be very effective um, and a lot of fun on the way. When, you, when you're talking about iterations, I, I, I'm assuming that you also learned a lot. Would you share some of these insights uh, with us? Because uh, these are nice parts, I guess. Yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> indeed. indeed. Um, so a couple of Key insights I think um, we've had over the year, which indeed led to our current implementation, is that in order to uh, grow and sustain and improve a forecast, you need several components. Um, one of them is you need the technical expertise to build a system that can provide a forecast once, um, that can run a data pipeline reliably, that can do logging, that can do monitoring and supply that to your users. Um, and something that's stable over time. Second, of course, you need the, uh, the matter experts who know how to pick a model, tune a model, build features, and actually train a model to do forecasting, um, and everything that's involved with that. And thirdly, you need a setup in which you can experiment. Uh, quite often you, get, you see that people can bring a product to a certain level, and then it's held together with tie wraps and duct tapes and Excel sheets. And as long as nothing changes, that's okay, um, but we know by now that Bold.com is constantly changing. We are adding new products, we are adding new stores, we are adding uh, different ways of shipping things to customers, and that constant, constantly asks new things of your forecast. Um, so you need to be able to adopt to that ever-changing environment. Um, and I think we are now doing that a lot better than before. Um, and I think that's the, the key things that make our current setup very successful. Could you give uh, some insights in what kind of uh, measures uh, you had to take to get it to a point where we didn't use the duct tape and the tie wraps <laughs> and the stuff, but that we, we came to a, 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 a system that can, can cope with these changes in our yeah, dynamic environment? Yeah. Um, so I think two of them have been... Uh, profoundly impactful for that one is um, step one is uh, 
don't be afraid to start over. Um, if you have gone down a certain path of which you're learning, this is not the best way forward. Take the hard hit and trail back a bit and then go down a new path, um, which is always hard because, you know, once you've built something, it starts to become a part of you as well. You have to kill your darlings. Basically, indeed, <laughs> uh, which isn't always easy. Um, so make sure that you, 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 you try things often and try to learn from that as fast as you can. Um, and the second thing that I think we've learned from that is make sure that you put whatever you have out there as soon as you can to get feedback on that. Show it to who is going to use it. Show it to uh, who has domain expertise of that what you are forecasting. Um, and be open for, for, for feedback. Um, listen to what their needs are. Listen to what they want to apply it for. And listen where they see it's performing well for their needs and not so well for others. Um, it's one thing to design something that you feel works great, but if it's not being used, um, yeah, don't build it. Yeah, I, I, and maybe to make that one really tangible yeah. is that um, whilst discussing with our, with our users in what to forecast, we came to the point that we did, were discussing, why are we forecasting the sales of digital products? So at Bold.com, we sell uh, software games for downloads. We sell um, software applications for, for office applications like Excel and, and Outlook. But those are, to some degree, an infinite demand. A supply. Uh, sorry, yeah, the supply, supply, yeah. yeah, yeah. Demand would be even better. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would enormous boost up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's no point in forecasting those products for their use case. Um, so we chose to take those out of the entire flow, uh, making sure that we focus the forecast as much as we can on the things that uh, our users want to be, to be intended for, um, and therefore keep evolving the product again and again, um, and really listen to what your customer is looking for. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's so, sounds great. It's also the being open to feedback, and that's, I think, goes for a lot of situations. Did you take any specific... Uh, yeah, a procedure or a way to get there, or could you uh, say a little yeah, bit about that? Indeed. So, from a technical standpoint, we we also um, changed a few things to to improve uh, the stability of, of our uh, product. So, at first, we would experiment uh, in our production environment uh, so that we could get those changes out there quickly and have them reviewed by our users. Um, but at some point, the users uh, get tired from constantly seeing that change and. Um, and sometimes something that doesn't work because we're working on it. So we separated uh, our production environment from our experimentation environment um, so that we could uh, offer both the stability and the, the quick iteration uh, at the same time. And between those environments, we have some tests, which um, in the case of forecasting, just having unit tests uh, isn't, isn't good enough because we also need to test if, if the model that we have if it actually performs uh, well statistically. So does it actually forecast the right things? Uh, and for that, we had to uh, write some, uh, some other kinds of tests. So we, we train our model and we make it predict and then check if those results are, are uh, close to what, uh, what we actually sold in the past. Um, and if that's the case, then, we're, then we can actually uh, release it to production. Um, 
and that is that requires a, a slightly different uh, approach from from normal testing because it takes a lot longer to go through this process, um, and we we had to implement that ourselves. Um, and um, there are a few different ways that we that we approached getting the forecast to our users. So we we tried uh, emailing uh, that to them, but that turned out to be um, to rely on too many different aspects and people needed to check their email and the, their email needed to be able to load images and all sorts of things. So we uh, we changed that to hosting it on a web server. And now you can just give everyone the 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 uh, link to that the URL and people can access it any uh, any day of the week and uh, it updates automatically. So they, they have much quicker access to it without being spammed by our by our emails every day so that is uh, so that was uh, also uh, a nice way of, uh, of changing that so, so you basically built a mechanism uh, first of all that, that instead of doing the traditional software development tests uh, you were going to measure how well your model is uh, basically Indeed. the other thing is that you first tried to to spam them with your new thingies and then you got kind of overwhelmed and then you tried to, okay mm -hmm. i'll just put it out there and then you go check for yourself if, if you need it. How did how did you get them to to keep doing that? Because yeah, sometimes you have to push people a little to 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 go to the place and <laughs> see what's going on there. No, that, that that's indeed that's very very true. And um, I think the way we did that is how any other consumer product is actually being put in the market. Is you start to look for a user need and try to provide that as well as you can. And often, indeed, the first version of the product out there might not fully solve everything. Uh, a few early adopters might try the first iteration of a tablet, a smartphone, a smartwatch. Uh, but those early adopters help you evolve your product into something that's really useful. Um, or not. You might also learn, hey, this is a dead end. Let's build something else. Um, and once you get those early adopters, once you get those fans and champions up and running for you, and they start to spread the word, then you know I've got something really successful. Um, and indeed, so the key is find a need for people that they have, try to solve it as well as you can, and give it to them as soon as you can, and listen to them. Does this solve your need or not? Oh, it does in situation A, B, and C, but D and E, nah, not so much. Oh, what's going wrong there? Then you think, yeah, you're missing promotions, you're missing stock levels, you're missing availability levels, and um, that's a cool thing in collaborating with all of the uh, the experts we have in Boltcom as well in, uh, in all the different markets. They know the specific dynamics that we do not, but by going into discussion and and collaboration with them, they help us uh, improve the model by sharing. Yeah, but this product is highly dependent on market conditions. This product is highly dependent on weather conditions. This product is highly dependent on yet again something else. And that's the type of information that we in the team do not have. But that's what we get from close collaboration and indeed by sharing um, uh, a product with people and trying to help them as best you can. And we are finding that once indeed you try to help people, they are also more than happy to help you as well because they see the symbiotic relationship that you have there. Yeah. So, and, and knowing first w w what information is needed is, is, is one step, but then you, 
before you can add it to the model, you need the data, right? So that's also, I think, a challenge in, uh, in Bol.com. How do you deal with that? Yeah, indeed. So um, what's very nice uh, from my perspective in Bol.com is that we actually do have a lot of data that's very accessible. So we um, upload, uh, we're moving to the cloud, and there most of the data is available at least to, to view by, by us. And then if we want to integrate it into our product, we need to get access from the, from the team that owns the data. Uh, and, but once we do have access, we can, we can play around with it and uh, explore it, analyze it, and, and see um, how good it is and if we can use it for a model. And if we can use it for a model, it's, uh, yeah, we connect to the, to the data source and, and we, can, we can start running our model in it. And then we'll let the the data scientists uh, tweak the models and extract uh, interesting features from it and and do do their uh, do their work so that we can uh, improve the model even further. Okay, so that's a nice uh, nice bridge I think between okay you have this model you have the data sources, but how do we get such a model? And from what I learned from data science, they say you're, you're creating nice models, but how do you make that into production? on scale with, uh, we have 18 million products in Bol.com, I think, online. So uh, how do we do that? What's needed for that? That is uh, indeed a very interesting uh, process. You get great talent like Harmon in. That's the solution. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> Good case. I'm definitely, I'm definitely not doing this by myself. So um, indeed, like you said, uh, most of our data science projects are, are built in Python. And it's great for data science because you can really quickly uh, iterate and see the results of, of, of what you do and improve that model really, really quickly and experiment. Um, the thing is that Python wasn't specifically designed for production code. So um, it's, n it's not compiled, for example. So you won't know if a line of code you wrote uh, is actually good or bad until you run it, um, which means you, you will need to write many more unit tests uh, to, to ensure that the code that you write uh, actually perform uh, performs what it should do. But like I already mentioned, unit tests don't cover everything, like how good your model works or not. So so, there, so we need to introduce those uh, extra tests there. Um, things we're trying to do as well is uh, right now, because Python doesn't have typing, um, that makes things a bit more vague, uh, more flexible again for the data scientists, but also um, less easy to reason about. So we're adding uh, type hinting, and uh, in the near future, we're going to enforce those using, uh, using a tool called uh, MyPy, um, which enforces those types so that we can, again, be a little bit more certain about uh, what we're doing. Um, also with our forecasting, we're uh, approaching other types of boundaries. So um, we're working in Kubernetes, and sometimes we simply need bigger machines. So we've been um, begging uh, our uh, our provisioning uh, uh, teams to please give us bigger machines, and we got those. And now now we can uh, scale up uh, once more, which is uh, which is really cool. And um, yeah, we've we've had a lot of help from all the different teams out there. So there are people right now working um, to get uh, Airflow up and running, so that we can schedule jobs better, so we can uh, get more uh, calculations done uh, during a single night, so we can improve our forecast even more. So um, in terms of collaboration between the different teams, everyone in, uh, within Bol has been helping us to, to set up this, uh, the, the forecasting pipeline. And that has been a really, uh, really cool experience so far. 
but I feel indeed is that indeed productionizing data science products indeed it's a it's a different type of sport altogether, um, and where in in traditional software engineering, um, developing a feature with well-defined functions is relatively straightforward. Um, within data science, you have this intrinsic component of experimentation. Um, you always have to try things out. You always have that that feedback loop of, does this work or not? Does it improve what I'm trying to solve here? Um, and in order to allow for that, indeed, a, a, a solution like Python comes in. It's more flexible and it, it allows for faster experimentation and trying things out. Um, and then the, the trouble comes, okay, now we have a result that we really like. How do we now serve that in a more reliable and stable fashion? Um, and there I, I feel you typically see also in our architecture is that some parts and components are, well, quite free format, so to say. Um, uh, Python, notebooks, um, and everything that just solves your issue uh, for the first experiment. But then once you go to production, then indeed we have um, integration pipelines in place. Then you go through all of the, the loops of making sure that your results and your uh, your output is always there. Then you go into uh, all the monitoring and logging that we have in place um, to indeed ensure that on the one hand, you're flexible and can experiment, but on the other hand, towards your users, you always provide them with a stable and reliable product, which uh, I believe in times can be um, a little bit of friction within the team. How do you balance stability versus flexibility? Um, but those discussions within the team are always great to have uh, because there you see that people coming from different backgrounds in the same team striving towards the same goal uh, and trusting each other that we are working towards the same thing to achieve gives the best, um, the best results in way of working in the end. Uh, so we find that we're really stringent at some points and really more flexible in others. Yeah. Um, and we are able to do that because people come from different backgrounds and they have different views of how to do things um, and can learn each other a lot of um, how to strengthen each other as a team. So that's really cool to see. It makes me very curious. that uh, Do we already trust the, the models enough that we send out, for instance, automated uh, purchases towards our suppliers or is there always some manual interaction in between? Currently, there are still some manual interaction in between. Um, and up to some degree, there always will be. Um, so, of course, we are aiming in the future that, especially for, for replenishment and the mid-level range of products, um, we want to make that as automated as we can. Um, but especially for the, the high-moving products, it's always beneficial to have an extra set of eyes, uh, at least checking your results, um, uh, even though just for outliers. Uh, some products are intrinsically hard to forecast well. Um, if you look at um, products that we just newly introduced, for which you have relatively little data, those are hard to do. Uh, if you have occurrences which are not that often, uh, think about uh, World Championship Soccer, Olympic Games, um, um, the birth or demise of certain celebrities, those don't happen every once in a while. 
Um, and for that, you still want to have people checking in for those and making man-made decisions, um, supported by data, um, data-driven as much as we can. But I would expect there always, for the high end, always to be people involved in making those decisions. Hey, one of the things that we, we touched upon a few times is, is serving your customer right, basically. But uh, in my view, you have like multiple customers because, for example, the people in selling electronics, selling toys, selling books, uh, selling household appliances, selling well, whatever, I think they're different consumers with different needs, serving different markets. How do you deal with that in one model or do you have multiple models or how do you accommodate for that? Yeah, so um, indeed every product even is behaves differently. Uh, like uh, Eric already mentioned, uh, music uh, uh, is very much influenced by, by social media, for example. Um, and um, yeah, every product in itself uh, can behave very differently and that's why we... Um, try to well the way to solve this problem really is to to give the the model enough data so it can can infer those those different behaviors that that the different uh, that the different products have so we um, currently train a few different models based on uh, on some clusters that we found of products that behave similarly but within those models there's still room to differentiate different uh, products based on based on their features so we have a, a team that has that categorizes every single product that we have into different uh, shops and clusters, for example, and those features we use as well, and, the, and we can see a very distinct effect in the model that it that it be uh, that behaves differently for for those products. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. So in the basis, you have like uh, like a few clusters because I thought you were going to tell that every product would have a model, but it's it's more bundled basically. <laughs> Um, how, how did you choose them? Did you just follow the, the, the categories uh, that are created or uh, was there another way of grouping them across uh, multiple shops, basically? Yeah, so the, the explicit different models that we have are uh, for very fast-moving products uh, because they, um, they were uh, seen as an outlier by the, by the models. So the models said these, these products are sold so much, it, it it must be a fluke in the data. Um, so we build a separate model for that so it should, could account for, for those very high-moving products because they are more important, of course. Yes. Um, but um, the, the distinctions between the different uh, clusters of products um, within a model, the, the model finds by itself by, by just performing the, the advanced statistics and seeing oh, these, these products are in the same group and they, they behave similarly. So apparently there must be a reason for that. And the model doesn't know the reason behind it, but it does see the pattern. So it will, it will predict it properly. And I also feel that there is, uh, this is one of those key points why I really love what we do, is that it's one thing from, indeed from a domain expert to see a certain trend. It's something else to translate that into a feature that a computer or a model can understand and pick up on correctly. Um, as a human being, we like the categorization that we have in our web store, but for a computer, it doesn't make that much sense. Uh, if you train a model, the amount of data that you have for a specific product makes a lot of influence. Um, so for instance, you can imagine that 
products that we have sold a long period of time, who have a lot of data, can use a different type of model than things that we have been selling only three months uh, to date. And within those periods, of course, you can have a range of products, as we have with Wall.com. Um, but that's the things that matter for a um, for a computer. Um, and so for a model, it makes perfect sense to put together sleds and ice skates and, um, and salt for your driveway because all of those are influenced by has it been freezing, yes or no? And that is something you can feed through your model. Um, so there you see that the categorization used to optimize models is typically different than what you would expect from a, from a human perspective to use. Um, and even though the feedback that we get from our users is typically from a human perspective, we get to understand the underlying behavior and translate that into something that the model picks up well um, to indeed try to improve our forecast. And that's again where experimentation comes in. We, we try one, two, three, four, five ways of, of clustering that and whichever one then performs best, that's the one we move forward on until the next iteration and the next one and the next one and the next one. So, so we started uh, about three years ago with this uh, data science into forecasting. Uh, but what I hear is we're learning every day. We're, yeah. we're changing the, the model uh, every day, uh, adding new data to it. So that's, uh, that's a nice uh, overview. I think we can spend another podcast on what the future <laughs> will be of, uh, of uh, data science and, and forecasting and, and maybe other areas as well. But let's go over to the, to the closing round already. So to summarize for our listeners, uh, can, your, can you share your most important takeaway with us? Harmon. Absolutely. So the most important takeaway for me is to, um, as an engineer, uh, trust your colleagues and, and give them the freedom because um, it, it turns out that everyone uh, wants to help out and is interested in moving your product further. So give those data science this, this space and um, if you can, an experimentation environment just to have them experiment all day and give your um, your domain experts the, the freedom and uh, enough material to give you feedback on, on, on what you're building. Um, and then you'll get the best results, I think. Nice takeaway. And you, Eric? For me, it would be um, put your product out there as fast as you can. Uh, same as Harmon. Get feedback, get validation, and make sure that you're on the right path. Um, and based on every measurement and input that you get, iterate and improve, um, because that's the way forward in building a great product, of which a forecast can be one of them. Great. Thanks. Well, thanks, Eric and uh, Harmon, for sharing your stories with us. It was very good to, to have you over here. Um, yeah, the ultimate thing is, of course, uh, forecasting what forecasting will be like in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Can anybody do that? <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and that you're willing to come uh, by another occasion. Maybe talk about the future of forecasting. Sure, <laughs> will. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, it was a great enthusiast uh, story. I really liked, uh, liked talking to you and to our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope, you, hope to meet you in our uh, next episode and have fun in the meantime. <laughs>